live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Before we go, is Daddy the most uncomfortable player nickname for the Golden Knights? <laughs> this is the Press Box. They had Daddy on uh, one of the in-between in interviews after the, after, you know, I think it was after the first period he scored. Ashley asked him one question, and the look in his face was, I don't know why I'm here. I don't want to be here. Can I please not be here? <laughs> felt bad for Daddy. With Grady and Bischoff. Here, do you know how much I love? Seven-time Nevada Sports Rider of the Year, Ed Grady. Daddy. <laughs> On ESPN Las Vegas. Daddy had a great play. Hey, who's your daddy? We're here on a Monday, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. I can't get over saying his name. I just, I, I, you know how I feel about nicknames, and yet this one's the greatest nickname ever, so I just, I just keep saying it. I don't even know his real name anymore. And now he's the most relevant player on the team. Yeah, great. now he's the star of the team. <laughs> it is. Uh, I have an important question for you. Was it staged? I don't think it was. I think it was real, too. I think it was real. I think it was real. I don't know. I don't think he follows with F-bombs if it's staged in, the mil- in, in front of billions of people. I don't think he does that. I don't think he sits down and then screams, you know what, he screamed twice. I don't think it was staged. I really don't. I think Will Smith went up and smacked him. Can can I play the? It's twelve seconds, but my favorite part that I feel like people are on are not talking about enough. Will Smith just smacked the out of me. Keep my name out your mouth. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to. Okay? That's the part. That's my yeah. favorite part. I'm going to. That's where I go to. That it's that it's real. I don't think when he first went up and smacked him, you're like, oh, this is a bit. Then when he sat down and he screamed that, yeah, and he screamed that. The thing about that was, and I'm sure you guys saw this, correct me if I'm wrong, he laughed at the joke initially. He did. Uh, His wife did not. No. And then the camera cut away, and there's about five seconds before Will Smith is on stage. Realizes his wife's not happy. Yes. I I don't know what to tell you. I think it was real. (laughs) I do, too. Do you... And it said Chris Rock, and people were laughing at saying this afterwards, but seriously, it said Chris Rock won't press charges. Couldn't he press charges? Apparently. Is I mean, that, Is that not assault? I mean, the, the LAPD said if the, the individual hasn't asked to press charges, if they do, we will investigate it as a misdemeanor battery or something right. like that. Like, like, I don't know. I feel like you don't because you're the host of the Oscars and it's Will Smith, but I don't know. <laughs> I just, I really enjoy because I, I I assume Tyler's been in this situation where you're like, oh no, they're gonna actually fight me. The like tone of I'm going to. I know I overstepped. I'm scared. He apologized to everyone but Chris Rock during his acceptance speech. Apologized to the Academy. Apologized to all his his peers out in the audience. He apologized to everyone but Chris Rock. He wishes Chris Rock had said it somewhere else. I just not at the Oscars. I don't know. I, I thought it was, I do not think it was a bit. I thought so at first when he walked up there. I thought, oh, this is, you know, he kind of slapped him. And did he really slap him? Did, it was one of those Hollywood slaps. Definitely really slapped. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a real slap. Yeah. That 100% slapped him in the face. Did you think it was real the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's a great moment. Phenomenal moment. See, Chris I, Rock, that's the greatest moment in television history. <laughs> he knew right away. <laughs> The first bite.
The first bite this week is brought to you by the Cofield and Company podcast. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Did Daddy save the season? Daddy, Evgeny, what a what a, what a what a goal! What a way to what a way to end it there on a Saturday An overtime winner. Overtime winner to save the season. Nick Waugh skates around for sixty six minutes. Did. He did. That was a long time. <laughs> Just waiting, and the, <laughs> the poor Blackhawks. Those guys were completely gassed. They they didn't know what was doing. And then Daddy kind of skates to the top, top there, and then blasts it past him. Wow, what a, what a goal! So they're down three nothing entering the third period to the Chicago Blackhawks, like a team at home you can't lose to when you are for a no, playoff spot. Been disastrous. And then they come out score three goals yeah. in three minutes and sixteen seconds. End up going to overtime, and Evgeny Dodonov scores the game winner. He has scored in both games since the trade was voided. And here's what I'm curious about. How bad does the front office look right now that they tried to trade away to Donov when he was in purgatory and didn't get to play for two yeah. games? They were shut out in both of them. And then as soon as he comes back, he's immediately, immediately the best goal scorer on the team scores in both games. Well, they look bad if he keeps scoring. Yeah. He's got five points since he came back. Um, four, four goals in five games, six and six. I mean, he's he's the one guy now you can count on, which is... Hilarious, given that they had traded him. Yeah, and that's the part that it didn't make a lot of sense when they made the trade at the time was they were only creating $3 million in cap space, and they viewed $3 million in cap space as more valuable than Evgeny Dodonov. Evgeny Dodonov has been worth $3 million in cap space uh, in just the last two games last alone. Last two games, given they're chasing a playoff right. spot. Absolutely. Like, there's no way you can look at this and say that, oh, yeah, that $3 million in cap space would have been more valuable. And then the other part of this, the Golden Knights placed Riley Smith on long-term IR before Saturday's game so that they could activate Alec Martinez, right? Riley Smith hasn't played in, like, two weeks, but Alec Martinez, his first game since November. Why did they need to create $3 million in cap space by trading Evgeny Dodonov when they could put Riley Smith on long-term IR and create $5 million in cap space? Well, the jokester in me would say, does Riley Smith need to be on LTIR? I mean, he hasn't played in almost right. three weeks now. You would have thought he'd be on by now. Yeah. Is he getting worse? Because well, if he's not getting worse, then... Well, you don't have to... I mean, the Riley Smith situation... You see what I'm saying, though. Well, yeah, but you don't have to put somebody on long-term IR until you need it. Right. Like, you can just have him on IR. I'm, I'm going back to the, the Donoff of why they need to move him. Well, because they were if like, we need just, cap space. If you could just put a, a Riley Smith on LTIR. Right. right. Absolutely. But, I mean, he's been out for three weeks. I assume yeah. he's done for the rest of the regular season, at least. Yes. But, like, if, you, if you're going to make that move, why trade Dodonov away? Why, why are you trying to... Why are you... You were... The Golden Knights, it's not just that they were trading Dodonov away. They were also giving up a pick... In the second round, yeah. and taking, and on, taking a bad on a bad contract that lasts in the next season, and taking on a guy who's still in Boston, right? <laughs> the, McCrimmon was like, "Well, uh, we traded for this guy. He's not going to play for. He's, he's in Boston. He's not healthy." Like that was a horrible trade, and they did it to create three million in cap space, and they could have just put Riley Smith on long term IR this entire time. That's the Golden Knights should be thanking the Ottawa Senators in the NHL every single for day for the rest up. of the season. Because that's a horrific trade that got voided, and now they're better because of it. They're better because that trade got voided. So there's the Golden Knights with Evgeny Dodonov saving the day for them. Um, Alec Martinez comes back, though. 
First off, are you surprised he came back? Because he he gets the, well, he gets the skate below the eye in November. Yeah, there had been a couple of instances where oh, Alec Martinez is on the ice, right? Where he he'd been practicing, where it looked like he was yeah, close to coming exactly. back. He'd but been then, practicing. but then he I don't know have a setback or something, and all of a sudden he wasn't close, and he was off the ice again, and then all of a sudden he's back ready to go on Saturday and plays on Saturday. I, with whatever it is, 12 games, what do they have, 15 games left in the season, something like that. Like, a little surprised he actually came back. I just sort of thought Alec Martinez might be done for the year because whatever happened with the cut below the eye, something was an issue because he was out much longer than anybody expected because of that. I guess I wasn't completely surprised. I'd been a few practices where he was, it seemed like he was full go at practice. So when he came back, I'm like, okay, he's ready. Um, You know, I think he's going to be a little... Well, it's the wrong word. I won't even use that word to describe a defenseman in the NHL, but it'll take him a while, I guess, to get back into what he was before. He had one hit, 13 minutes of ice time. I don't know if he blocked a shot. So, you know, I mean, he led the league in block shots last year. So I think it's going to take him a while. And it would have anyone. I mean, if you listen to him after the after the game, it was very, very serious. He didn't even really want to get into details. He said that's for another time and place. Um, so obviously he went through a very, very difficult time with this injury. Thanked a lot of people for trying to get him back. Um, was asked about his mental health. Said it's fine, especially after a five-four win in overtime. <laughs> um, Thanks, you, to you, Daddy. I, you felt you felt for him. I did. I did. I mean, if you watched him up there talking about this, you realize, man, and you probably knew it was going to happen anyway with the scar under his eye and how close. You know that could have been extremely, extremely dangerous, uh, career-threatening. For all we know, it was career-threatening. He was out so long; it could have been career-threatening. He did say that. It, you know, it didn't. It did cross his mind that his career was over. Yeah, he sounded I mean, like the way he talked about it. It sounded like there was at least at some point his career might was be in over jeopardy because of it. I, I mean, obviously, complete speculation. I wonder, like, what did it cut? It had to have cut something that, like, it's well, more than just the skin, just the skin of yeah. his face. Yeah, absolutely. there had he to be something so else long. for that to be as for the way he talked about it and yes. for how long he was out. If I mean, hell, if it was just the skin. <laughs> He might have played I mean, in the same game. You'd have the scar, and <laughs> you'd the, keep going. They'd yeah. stitch it up, and you'd go. You're a hockey player. Yeah. No, so it I had to be a lot more serious. I, 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 I wonder what it was. Like his eyes, fine. Like it's not. Like, it did. It did not get his eye. So I'm. I'm curious. Like what else it would have gotten, or what it was close to getting, or something that could have caused it to have been that serious. Now, the other interesting part of Alec Martinez, not just that he came back, but Jack Eichel said post game that. Second intermission, Golden Knights down 3 nothing. Alec Martinez is the one that spoke up in the locker room and basically gave them the we got to go save the season speech. Right. Is that what they've been missing? They've been missing well, Alec maybe, Martinez telling them, I hey, mean, get it so together. I, I like the joke he made. He goes, here's a guy who hasn't been in the room in four and a half months, and I'm the one who's speaking up, so <laughs> who's listening to me? He's like, I've been watching you guys yeah. suck for the last couple of months. Well, it's an, I mean, he's got... He's got rings. I think he's really respected in the locker room. Uh, and if someone needed to step up, then someone needed to step up. I mean, we asked the board what he said, and he said, I don't know. I blacked out after we won. So he didn't even remember what he said. So good for Alec Martinez. If he Whatever he said, they came out and scored three goals in a little over three minutes. So he should be talking the entire night. No one else should talk the rest of the year except Alec Martinez, including DeBoer. Should he be the coach? Should they make no. Alec Martinez the co- At the least the power coach. play coach, right? He could be that. Imagine he's they've been he's, a little better with the new guy. Imagine he's drawing up the power plays. They might start scoring <laughs> goals all the time. Who okay? Who are all the alternate captains for the Golden Knights? Mark Stone's the captain. Riley Smith wears one, and Alec Petrangelo wears one. Those are the normal three, right? Okay, 
So I, I know Alex Petrangelo wears one. Just, so I'm just not gonna from the from the leadership the, the, the leadership standpoint that Alec Martinez came back and gave him the speech. Like this team doesn't have Mark Stone, the, the captain. They don't have Riley Smith, one of the alternate captains. Like Alex Petrangelo's there, but outside of that, like who's who's the de facto captain? Jonathan Marshall. Yeah, I was going to say Marshall because he's you know he's a talker and, and he's, he's, got he's a little... more town jester than captain, right? I mean, yeah, but everybody I think he'd loves get pretty him. emotional. Everyone yeah. loves him in the room. I, I think he'd get pretty emotional about it. So I didn't know. I've got to be honest. Look, I don't, I'll say this. I don't think talking to the media is Alec Martinez's favorite thing. In fact, I know it is. And if you, you can just tell, you can tell guys who come in who want to do it, who want to be there, maybe not want to be there, but play along and who are good at it and want to be there. There's just no way he's one of them. So... I guess it surprised me he was the one who had the impassioned speech. Now, again, maybe he's completely different around others and his teammates than he is around us. Obviously, most of them are. Um, but that surprised me a little. Not because he'd been away for four and a half months, but just our dealings with him. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But whatever he said worked. They went out and scored three goals. Make him the coach. Coach Martinez. Keep him, put, him in, put him in charge. Let him be the coach. Let the Golden Knights actually win some games. Coming up next. We'll jump into the final four because it's finally over for St. Peter's. What are you going to remember the most about the last few weeks here? You know, that a group of guys came in here. No one gave a chance to. No one believed in but the people in our locker room and the people on, you know, that, that's, that's in our program and, 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 and made history. You know, they, they shocked the world. They, you know, you got guys that's going to be remembered for things that they could tell their kids and grandkids. And, like, it's, it's a story within the story. So I'm super proud of these guys. So they came in and, and, and made history. St. Peter's did it, point blank, period. And I'm ending on that. St. Peter's made it to the Elite Eight. Great story. You guys should write a lot about it. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Are you disappointed that St. Peter's was eliminated in the Elite Eight? Um, yeah, because I like good stories. So uh, it's difficult because who they were eliminated by and what that sets up in New Orleans between North Carolina and Duke and who could knock him out. Uh, of the final four, it'd be North Carolina. But I love the story of being St. Peter's. I loved watching them play the whole time. Thank God they're gone. (laughs) I knew you would not like it. They are not any good at basketball. Oh, come on. They're good at basketball. They are not any yes, good at basketball. Yes, they are good at basketball. They're, they're not just, good at this sport. They just weren't good. Yes, they are. They're they not were just good not, at this sport. Yes, they are. Pick a team that could get the Elite Eight that's not good at the sport. St. Peter's. Peter's. No. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Completely wrong. You're wrong on this. They're fine. They're not good at yes, the sport of basketball. I, I will not don't, believe it. Don't, please don't start with analytics. Uh, the, the team is a 15 seed, made an eight, Elite Eight run. They get all the way to the Elite Eight. One stop away, they play a much better team. So Kentucky's not good at basketball either. No, Kentucky's not uh, not not in that first round. Thirty third, okay. just once. St. Peter's ranks thirty third in efficiency among NCAA tournament teams. This is one time no one will like or agree with your analytics or care about them. Thirty third, because they were an incredible story, and they make it all the way to the Elite Eight, and nobody will care about analytics at this point. So nobody here's, listening. Here's what's great about the NCAA tournament: we get the stupid upsets right, where teams that shouldn't have any chance of winning, like St. Peter's against Kentucky, win. But we almost always end up with legitimately good teams in the Final right. Four, which is I'd agree with that. Because the, the upsets are always, well, they're not always so many that they had. They're usually like in the right. first round, and then the good team takes care of Yes. That, that's usually what happens. Yes, but that's why it's great, because you have St. Peter's win a game. Or you have, I mean, we had quite a few upsets throughout this, right. this tournament, right? No one seeds, except for Kansas, even made it to the Elite Eight. So... It's it's a great tournament because you have that part of it where the upsets are fun and unpredictable, 
But then we also end up in the final four where we generally speaking have really good teams. And we have at least three teams that are in the final four that had a really good regular season and then went through their region as well. North Carolina, they're an eight seed. North Carolina, number one in the country in efficiency since the NCAA tournament started. So North Carolina has been playing better than anybody but they else were like, so far. Weren't they like, they had a bad record in quad one games. In the, they, did, they weren't great in the regular season. Yeah, they were they were fine. Let's see. Their quad one record was three and eight okay. on the season. Three and oh in quad two and thirteen and oh in quad three. Um yeah, they, they lost multiple games. Like I think they, I think they lost three or four games by twenty points or right. more. Like they right. certainly had problems, bad days. Yeah, throughout the regular season. But since the tournament's been going on, they've actually been the best team in college basketball by efficiency margin. So I'm glad St. Peter's is done. I had zero interest in watching that team anymore beyond North Carolina. I did not want to see them play Duke. That would have not been any fun at all. Uh, I'm glad North Carolina took care of them. It's fun. See this. And by the way, the elite eight kind of sucked, but I blame St. Peter's for it. Cause you know, if Purdue had been there. Purdue, North Carolina would have been a lot more fun to watch than St. Peter's, North Carolina. I'm telling you, everyone loves St. Peter's except you. They're buying the gear today. There will be St. Peter's shirts. Buy- you know who doesn't even love St. Peter's their coach. He's gone. Oh, that's an easy decision. He left the next day. He could love St. Peter's more than anything and say, oh, I'm going to get $2 million more a year. Well, then I think I'll go. I I don't think he loves St. Peter's. Oh, I think he does. Any any of us are offered two million dollars a year. With the the, the I'm not saying we're doing the go. dropping of the headphones, Just and saying, we'll never he hear us care. again. He doesn't. He doesn't like St. Peter's. Hell, Seton Hall doesn't like St. Peter's either. They were going to hire this guy before the NCAA tournament, apparently. Well, and then I mean, he went on a run. They had to wait two more weeks to hire their coach. I mean, he got he he got St. Peter's to the tournament, so yeah, you got to hire that guy. But the part of their story that I enjoyed the most is at least we didn't focus on a little old woman on the sideline the entire like their entire run. We actually were like, "Hey, these group of kids are doing really well." It wasn't they, about a ninety-year-old nun. I wish there was a ninety-year-old nun. She would have been the best player on that team. They tried to make a little joke of it, saying she was going in the portal. Sister they showed, Jean to yeah. St. Peter's. Yeah, they showed she her on the have. they showed her on the TV. Said, look, who's, look who's in the portal. Yeah, she should have should have left and gone to St. Peter's. So I'm glad St. Peter's is gone. You know what? I'm I, not. You know what? I can't figure out. I can't figure out if I like watching Villanova play or not. I can. Yeah, I can see that. I'll tell you what, though they they have a way of whoever they're playing. He's got a way of whoever they're playing to take them out of what they usually do. And I, I think he's a really, well, I don't think he's won two national championships. That's a stupid thing to say. He's obviously a great coach. <laughs> I mean, he's a great coach. I, they're not as aesthetically, I guess I think I know what you're saying as pleasing as other teams to watch, but they get the job done. They play slow and NCAA tournament wise, their defense has been very good. Um, the reason I can't figure out if I like it or not, they're not they're not one of the most fun teams to watch, but I have never seen a college basketball team turn down as many decent shots as Villanova does. If they get a slightly open look from three, or if they get the ball into the paint, but there's a defender there, they do not shoot. They don't do it. Every single possession, they are trying to get wide open three mm-hmm. or wide open layup. Every single time. And so what happens is when they play a bad team or an average team, Villanova's really good, and they're going to end up getting a really good shot most of the time. But what we saw against Houston, because Houston, very good defensively, when Villanova would turn down a slightly open shot because they're hoping to get a better shot, 
They didn't get a better shot most of the time. Most of the time, they'd get an even more contested shot late in the shot clock. And I'm fascinated by it because I don't think I've seen a team that does it like Villanova does where they just, they will not shoot until there's like eight seconds on the shot clock or they're completely left alone. Did they shoot 29%? Uh, Yes. And won the game. And won the game. Which is incredible because both Pretty teams amazing both in the teams Elite sucks. Eight. Yeah, I mean, Houston was one well, of 20. 20. Yeah, they on were threes. terrible. They're one terrible. of 20. That's that's horrific. But, like, I am fascinated by Villanova. Even, like, I know it's not fun to watch, but it's still fascinating to me how often they come down on offense and don't take a decent or a good shot because there's 19 on the shot clock. And they're like, well, maybe we can get better than this. And it's like, probably not against a good team, but that's what Villanova does. So I'm fascinated by what's probably just bad basketball at the end of the day. Like it's a, it's a, it's an annoying team to watch. But they keep winning. Yeah. They're in the final four. In the final four. I don't know if they're beating Kansas, but they're here. Um, Coach K, do you want to see him lose to North Carolina or beat North Carolina? I want to see him lose as much as you didn't want to see St. Peter's in the final four. Did you want him to lose before the final four? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I'm on board with him being in the final yes, four because it's too much to cover. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want five, six days of KKK, and that's all it's going to be. Oh, wait a minute! <laughs> I want to go ahead and turn on the delay, especially considering we might have to talk about Will Smith later in the show. <laughs> you said to add one more K on the end there, we would have been good. <laughs> I did. I did. I added. I added one. Um, anyway, you know what I mean. I want, uh, it would have just been, it would, well, not just been, it's going to be so much about him. And I guess, that you know, you go where the story goes, right? He's the story. I think the best story, though, is North Carolina beating them in the Final Four. First time the two schools I want have ever be, played in the NCAA that, tournament. That's, well, I heard that, and I guess I wasn't overly surprised. They've only been at the Final Four once in... Uh, it was the year that um, UNLV lost to uh, Duke in, in Kansas beat North Carolina, but I I guess I wasn't surprised. You get in the you get in opposite brackets, you get seeded differently and stuff like that. But that is amazing that they've never ever yeah. faced each other in the NCAA tournament. And Duke lost the last game at Cameron Indoor for Coach K to this North Carolina team. Lost big, yeah, got blown out in the second half. Like I think it would be funny if North Carolina blew them out again. Oh, I, I think hilarious. hilarious. So. That's kind of what I'm cheering for. That's what I'm cheering for. Oh, yeah. I have one more complaint for you on college basketball. Why are college basketball teams so bad at the end of halves? The Arkansas-Duke game, end of the first half, Arkansas has the ball. The shot clock is on, but it's like less than a, a second difference, right? They can basically take the last shot of the game or the half if they want to. Arkansas took a three with 12 seconds left in the half. They could have taken the last shot, but they took a three with 12. They missed. Duke gets the ball. Duke runs up and hits a three at the buzzer. To How? Do we not understand hold the ball for the last shot? Like, what's Eric Musselman doing on the sideline? And this is not just Arkansas. Teams do this stuff all the time. Nobody in college basketball goes two for one. That is a completely foreign concept. No, no. To the they world of college do basketball. They, they don't do understand that. two for they one. They will not do that. Nobody understands, hey, two for one gives me two possessions and my opponent right. one possession, and that's going to be better for me right. over the long haul. Same goes with but taking the last shot. Does that. Why are they so bad at the end of halves? Like, it's it's insane to me that Arkansas could take it when they could hold for the last shot, 
that they could take a shot with 12 seconds. Not, not even like, oh, he was open and there was seven seconds left. So, well, we took it because he was wide open. With 12 seconds left and off the dribble three, right? it annoys me every time. They're so bad at it. Every single team is bad at it. It's usually that they're out near the top and the, and the announcer's yelling, go, 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 with about eight <laughs> seconds left. Remember, you know, you know how they do that? Like, oh, you better go, you better go. Eight seconds, if you run the right play, could be an eternity also. Yes. If you run the right play. Yeah, you're shooting. You'll get somebody open. Seconds. Yeah, you'll get the, somebody open. The one good thing in college basketball about taking the shot early is even if you make it, the clock doesn't stop. It keeps running. Right. It keeps running. So normally if you take it with five seconds left, you're going to be Yeah, they're not going to get go. down the street. Right. But they took it with 12. Right. That's ridiculous. College basketball teams are bad. They're just they're bad at the end of the uh, of halves and clocks. Maybe St. Peter's could have done that better, and they might be in the Final Four. Coming up next. We can next, only hope. David Shane joins the show. On his backhand, goes behind, looks to wrap it around. The goalie has now lost his stick. Wah looks up, taps it back to Donov in the middle. He shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime. Wah sets up to Donov. Knights five, Blackhawks four. Incredible comeback win for Vegas. Live. From the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is David Shane. Good morning, David. Hey, David. Good morning. Uh, How so are you guys? Is, uh, is the NHL voiding the Evgeny Dodonov trade the best thing that's happened to the Golden Knights this season? Uh, right now it is, yeah. I mean, especially considering there hasn't been a whole lot of good things happening this year. But, yeah, it's kind of funny how that works. But, yeah, I, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I have such a weird take on all of this because I feel like everybody for, you know, four months, five months was just like cursing this guy's name and why do we have this guy and he's $5 million and blah, 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 you know. And they were happy, like, oh, yeah, finally we're getting rid of him. And then, but, you know, now he comes back, he scores a few key goals, and everybody's like, you know, woohoo, you know, first star, we love him. Like, it's just, it's just funny how fickle sports is and how, how, like, quickly things change, you know, like within a few days. Uh, especially those fans. Come on. You kidding me? Is it just oh, the yeah. fans, though? Is it, I think it's the organization, too. They're the ones <laughs> that wanted to get the organization. rid of them. We got to get rid of this guy. Wait a minute. We like this. Uh, well, I really, I really think some of the fan reaction is kind of a stick it to the front office reaction, to be quite honest. The, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just feel like there's a lot of animosity still toward Kelly McCrim and George McPhee and some of the moves they've made. And one of them backfired and blew up in their face. And everybody, you know, finally gets to kind of go neener, neener, neener and, you know, put the L sign on their forehead or something. So I, I think that's half of what everybody's getting the enjoyment out of the Donoff playing well. He had been skating and practicing, but. I- all of a sudden, he's out there for warm-ups, and that's uh, Alec Martinez. Were you surprised at that, or did you expect that to happen? Because all of a sudden, he was just there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would be lying. I'll use the Alec Martinez line. Like, I'd be lying if I said it crossed my mind. Like, it hadn't totally crossed my mind until you start, you know, maybe thinking back, you add some things up, and, like, certainly some of the moves they made, Riley Smith, and just some of the moves, you know, trying to trade the Don off to begin with and trying to get that cap space and trying to, you know, have more LTR flexibility and, and all that, that sort of stuff that they were, you know, trying to do with that trade short term. It sort of indicated that maybe somebody was coming back soon. You know, maybe it was Alec Martinez, maybe, you know, somebody else, but like, 
you know, he's the one guy that we've seen consistently on the ice practicing. So, I mean, I guess the signs were there, but you know, yeah, you know, I'm a dummy. So <laughs> I guess you kind of miss it until maybe that day. And then, you know, it starts to, you know, moves and you start to think about it. You make some calls and you talk to people. So, uh, do you believe at all? Cause Jack Eichel said, Alec Martinez stepped up and talked to the locker room before the third period started. Do you believe at all? He's like a missing leadership piece that they've needed for these last few weeks or months. You know, I don't know about that because I think the one thing I'll buy in is that they have plenty of, I guess, quote unquote leaders in that locker room, you know, Alex Petrangelo guys who have been, you know, through the wars, but yeah, anytime you have a different voice, you know, anytime somebody, you know, maybe says it a little differently of, Hey, we need to wake the bleep up here. And these are two points that we can't afford, you know, to give away. Yeah. Maybe it has an effect. I I don't know. I mean, he wasn't, out there putting the puck in the net. I think that had more of an effect actually seeing a, a you know, a goal get past Lankinen and then the crowd gets into it. You know, the, the fact that they got a couple quick ones, you know, that, that, it, that it became a one goal game, you know, early on in that second period and kind of put doubt in Chicago's mind, you know, put confidence in their mind. I think that had more to do with it than, you know, maybe Alec Martinez being the missing piece in the locker room or anything like that, but you know, probably doesn't hurt. So you're not making him the head coach today. No, not oh, quite yet. Okay. You know, maybe a couple of years down the road. But <laughs> <laughs> what about the power you know, play? Can, but, he, can he be in charge know, of the power play? I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I it's funny because just real quick, like I did hear you guys talking early on, and like Ed, like I I actually wasn't surprised to hear that Alec Martinez was a guy speaking up, just because I know, you know, he was brought in for leadership. He was he's a guy that I think behind closed doors is is pretty vocal and isn't afraid to say it like it is. So, well, for, for me, it wasn't a total shock. In two years, it'll be four coaches down the road. So, you know, the, the, way, they get of, the way they get rid of <laughs> well coaches played. around here. <laughs> what, you know, he had the redirect, and he has the, which was a huge goal to get it to 3-2. Give us your sense of William Carlson this year, because, you know, every time I hear about William Carlson, the question is, what's wrong with William Carlson? Yeah, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that you don't want to talk negative about the guy that you like so much. And, yeah, it's fine to talk about Star Wars with him and all that, but, like, he hasn't produced just flat out, like I was looking at the stats the other day of like, you know, where is this team struggling? Why is what? I mean, they've got two guys that just got past the 50-point barrier. There's like guys approaching 50 goals and stuff around this league. You know, like the offense just hasn't been there. And then you look and you look, and William Carlson's got like nine goals and 14 assists or I guess whatever it is now, 13, something like that. That's just not enough. There are times where and you can just see it in his game. When he's trying things, when he's putting the puck between his legs and making moves towards the goal, you know he's confident. You know he's feeling good. When he's passing up shots and, and you know, overpassing and the, and the puck doesn't connect with whatever he's trying to do or he's floating on the perimeter and he's not getting the, you know, the spots on the ice where he can get a shot or open himself up to a pass, that's when you know he's not confident. And there's just been stretches this year where he just has been too invisible. And I know some of the, some of that I think was the injury probably took him out of his, you know, rhythm. It came sort of right in that, that part of the season where you're starting to kind of get into it and, and you should hit your midseason stride. And he just never really got that. But it's, it's been, when you look at production and where this team is lacked and, and needed, he, he's unfortunately a guy that you have to point to and, and should be open for criticism. Who should we consider more of a season saver right now, Evgeny Dodonov or Logan Thompson? 
Well, I think long-term, actually probably Logan Thompson, to, to be quite frank. I mean, yeah, it's fun to talk about the, the goals that Donald's given them and the, the offense, but, but just the fact that you think about where they're at in terms of the goaltending, it's a third-string goaltender and a fourth-string goaltender on the bench as the backup right now in the middle of a playoff race, and they don't have any other choice. And he's out there kicking away pucks and fighting and battling. And, yeah, you know, he ended up giving up four, but he made the saves when he needed to make. And I think that's oftentimes the most important thing about a goalie. And I, you know what? Maybe that's the 80s hockey person in me that I think about a guy like Grant Fuhrer. You know, and, yeah, he gave up goals, but he made saves for the Oilers back in the 80s when you needed it. That's the most important thing about a goaltender, not so much, you know, what the final numbers end up. And, and he made some big saves against Chicago on Saturday. He looked really good, I thought, you know, against Nashville. There's been some moments where, you know, he's, he's looked, you know, a little bit like a third-string goaltender, like an AHL goaltender. And there's other times where he's looked potentially like a future backup or, or somebody that can maybe even down the road get a 50-50 start, you know, share time with, with a guy. Like, he's got that kind of potential in him. And then there's other times where he's sliding all over the crease and you hold your breath when he makes a save. And you're like, oh, that's why he's undrafted, you know. But, <laughs> but, but he's still like he's in there, and he's giving him he's giving him a chance. And and goaltending is so important, especially at this time of year. And and we'll see if Robin Leonard comes back. Obviously, there was the report from Emily Kaplan, you know, from ESPN that Robin Leonard's close, and like it's out there now. Like I'll throw this out there too. Like we saw him. I accidentally we shouldn't have seen him, but we saw him on the ice. So. You know, we know that at some point we're probably going to see Robin Leonard here pop up at a practice, you know, a morning skate, something like that coming up here. And, you know, I think the Knights will get a boost from that as well. We accidentally saw him on yes. the ice. Don't do that again. Yeah. We know what happened there. Yeah, well, I'll tell the story. Yeah, they, they let us out through a door that uh, they didn't want us to go through, but that's on them. That's their fault. So I'll spill the beans. I'll, I'll show the story now. <laughs> uh, what happens that they make it and what happens that they don't? Well, I love the Daryl Sutter quote about if you play Colorado in the first round, it's just a waste of eight days. Um, <laughs> so if they end up with the second wild card, I mean, yeah, I kind of feel like it's a waste of eight days. I, I just feel like this team hasn't had a chance to get its chemistry together. And even if they're able to kind of, you know, get all the Lions and make Voltron and, and throw out the super team, you know, for the playoffs, they just haven't had a chance to play it all together yet. And I think it's hard to get into a rhythm. The, the only thing is, for whatever reason, they seem to have Colorado's number. Uh, they, they seem to, to have the formula, and they know how to play against them. So maybe they, maybe they would last 10 days you know, or something like that. But if they don't, I'd be very interested to see who takes the fall and whether you know, Bill Foley is able to kind of take a step back and look at the injury situation and just say, man, fluke year. You know, it didn't happen the way we you know, had it on paper and whatever. And and whether nobody takes the fall or whether somebody in the front office does, or here's the other thing too. My understanding, according to what Sportsnet reported when Pete DeBoer was hired, is that he will be going into his contract near year next year. He's got one more year on his contract after this. You don't want a lame duck contract coach. You don't want a Barry Trotz situation. So the Knights, I think, have to make a decision this summer on Pete DeBoer whether they want to extend him and if. He's the fall guy for this, you know. Then, then maybe that's the explanation. Uh, if the fan base got to make that decision, who would they choose? <laughs> Probably clean house, but 
seems to be <laughs> seems to be a lot of the angst I think right now aimed at Kelly McCrimmon, even though you know Pete DeBoer. I think I've heard they like to spell his name D E B O R E for apparently his boring offense. Uh, apparently that's the big message board thing I hear. I don't know. I'm not a big message board guy. I don't have a I don't have a burner account or anything like Come that. On. To, yeah, you do. To keep Come track on. of it. I have a I have a friend. I have a friend who who tells me about all this stuff. So that's that's how I stay on top I of have a friend. all the gossip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a burner. We know it. He's David Shane. Find his burner for us on Twitter. Thanks, David. Go Wisconsin. Have a good morning, guys. Take care. So B O R E. He's got a burner, doesn't he? He's Pete DeBoer with B-O-R-E, isn't he? That's going to be his burner account, right? I'm going to say no on that. <laughs> David Shane doesn't have a burner no, account? David Shane does not have a burner yeah, account. It's too bad. All right, coming up next, are we actually going to get some rule changes in the NFL for overtime? You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. All right, what's happening with Derek Carr? This guy getting an extension I, this or not? Is, I got, this is crazy. Okay, guy. so I'll read this tweet first. Uh, Vic Tafer tweeted this out. Josh McDaniel spoke this morning, uh, NFL meetings this week in Miami. Josh McDaniel said about Derek Carr. <clears throat> excuse me, I'll clear my throat right in the mic. Derek's going to have to make decisions about what's best for him, and we have to try to do what's right for the team. There will be a sweet spot in their hope fully for everybody. Derek Carr's agent on Twitter posted after that clubs always do what is best for the team in every situation. Players, even quarterbacks don't expect teams to do what is best for the player. Successful negotiations always end in a sweet spot. That said, our practice is not going to comment publicly regarding ongoing negotiations. How close is this guy from tweeting out Derek Carr with a sword through his back with the name <laughs> McDaniels on it? <laughs> Which would be wonderful. I thought for a second, until he said maybe a sweet spot, spot would be uh, landed on when Daniels said that, I thought for a second, are they trying to get this guy to play out this last year? Like I thought, we keep getting to know each other. How many dinners, as we've said, will it take to get to know each other? Yeah, hold on. Where's where's the rest of this quote? Because he, he said a lot more. Um our relationship continues to grow. Yeah, what? <laughs> I, how? You don't know each other yet? This guy has signed 100,000 people. He signed places and people at every position, and yet he doesn't know the quarterback yet? This is just, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre uh, situation here with the Raiders where the one guy everyone is waiting on to make a decision on, because he's the most important player, is the one guy it seems like they can't get to know. This is it's fascinating. It's bizarre. Because as soon as they traded for Devontae Adams, the assumption was I thought there was gonna be a press conference for an extension like within a week, right? I think you you asked, did you ask Vic, I think, when we had him on? Are they gonna announce a Derek Carr extension at the Devontae Adams yeah, press I thought, conference? I thought you know, best buddies would go out there <laughs> hand in hand and raise their hands above their head and say we're gonna win the Super Bowl. And now, and again, there isn't really anything that inflammatory that Josh McDaniel said, right? He said, oh, hopefully we get to a sweet spot. Like, but it's still, it still just has, seems to have like the wrong tone towards it where it's like, they don't sound over. It doesn't seem committed. like they're very close. Yeah. And it's just fascinating. And the other part, his agent to tweet, his agent said absolutely nothing. That tweet we read from his agent. Right. He said absolutely nothing. 
but he felt the need to go out and tweet about a specific Josh McDaniels quote, which even though his agent didn't actually say anything of substance, it still leads me to believe there's some unhappiness with Derek Carr and Derek Carr's agent yeah. to the way the Raiders are handling this. Well, so the way Josh says McDaniels Derek has to do what's best for him. <laughs> I mean, which to me, like you, means whatever offer negotiations have happened uh, are not anywhere what Derek Carr expects right. or wants. When he says he's got to do what's best for him, that means we've probably talked about what we think is best, and he doesn't agree and the agent doesn't agree. How far apart could they actually be? I mean, is it years? Is it money? I, I think it's more... I th- I think it's more term. Uh, you know, how long How long do they want to who, really invest in? I mean, is long it 30? Carr wants the, I think Carr wants long term. What, what were all the reports that Carr was, was willing or wanted to do a short-term deal? Were those coming oh, from thought, Carr or were those coming from the willing. team? I heard willing. I don't know if... I mean, I can't believe he wouldn't want a long-term deal if right. in fact I would they would give would him. Why wouldn't he? Too. Why but wouldn't he want a long-term we deal? We had for the longest time multiple reports. I mean, I think Vinny had it from the RJE and Rappaport had it with NFL.com. I think Vic Tafer even might have had one with the athletic. Like, multiple guys reported. That was that willing. That, like short term was the was what the expectation was for a Derek Carr extension. So who really wanted the short term? I, I would assume the team did. I think for, the team wants the short term. But I guess maybe Carr's not willing to that. Like, I don't know. May, and maybe you're right. Maybe it is the years and Carr's like, hey, commit to me for five, six years. Right. And the Raiders are saying, how about two? Yeah, but, exactly. Because I can't imagine, like the money side of it, there's no way the Raiders walked in and were like, "We're going to offer you a twenty-five million no. dollar year." Like, there's no, not there's the, no, not way. what the market says. No, right. they knew, they knew the money wise side. So, of it. like, surely they've got to be somewhere in the ballpark on the money, right? Like, surely it's got to be. Well, we'll give you thirty-two, and cars like, "Well, I want thirty-seven, right?" right. Like, right. And, and if that's the case, I mean, it's five million dollars, but that's. You can find a pretty logical meeting point. You can find a sweet that's... spot with the money, right? I if don't it's know like if you can find a sweet spot with the term, yeah. So. This is this is more interesting than I think we expected. As we get to know each other. He lives down the street. (laughs) But not next door. I mean, they have handed out big contracts to to Max Crosby and Devontae Adams. Yeah. And Chandler Jones. And they can't come to an agreement on the most important player. (laughs) They didn't have to get to know those guys over the course of four months. I don't know if they ever met Crosby. (laughs) I think they just extended him while that meeting. Hey, Max, uh, come on in. We need to meet you. They just looked up the pro football focus grades. Like, oh, this guy's good. All right, here's the check. You're staying with us for a while. Derek Carr, we got to go to dinner a few times.